thank you so much. Please sit down. Um, what a wonderful welcome. Well, I'm going to go home now. <laughs> thank you so much. I've been actually wanting to come to your church ever since you started, so I think I've taken rather a long time to actually get here. But um, it's great to be here. Um, and people online, lovely to see you. I may forget you occasionally, so forgive me because I'm more used to talking to live people because my normal place of, um, I mean, you're live too, but I mean people I can see you alive because my normal uh, place of speaking on a Sunday morning is a prison where they're very much in person. So I'm going to give you a few stories from the prisoners I talked today. Just going to check the time. Um, I want us to look at a particular scripture because I love doing stories from the Bible because Jesus loves stories. So we're going to have a look at a particular scripture. But uh, I wanted to just set the scene because the scene in the world is what we live in every day. And we know the situation every time we turn on the TV. It's uh, horrendous in a lot of places. And... Um, um, we know very well what's happening in Ukraine. I can't bear watching it any longer. It just upsets me so much. Um, I also had an uh, email today from, actually yesterday, I'm part of a group that prays for Afghanistan. You may remember that. This is uh, up-to-date statistics. 3.2 million, million children in Afghanistan will suffer from acute malnutrition in 2022. Believers are being searched by the Taliban in their homes. Girls are not allowed to go to secondary school, etc. I won't read you anymore because it's too upsetting. But the reality is it's not just Ukraine. In the years before, there were so many horrendous uh, wars and atrocities and dictatorships that have ravaged this country this world, not this country, this world. What's ravaged this country is things like the economic situation now. What was it called on Friday? Bleak Friday? Oh, gosh. Whatever else have we got? The statistics I read, energy 54% up. You've got to pay more. We can't get our lateral flow tests free any longer. I know that's something tiny, but, you know. If you have Sky Central broadband, prices going up 11%. Do you want to go home? <laughs> it's a bit depressing, isn't it? But God, we've been singing it all morning. God is on the throne. He's still here. He's still alive. Jesus is with us. Our Hol the Holy Spirit lives in us. So how do we put this all together? How does it make sense? How can we justify one thing with another thing? What do you think God's doing about Ukraine? Do you think he's just going, oh, yeah. Let's just see what happens. No, he's not. Well, some, um, some of my um, um, connections in Ukraine are praying Psalm 31, which is a wonderful psalm, crying out to God for his help. That's what we do. That's what we've been exhorted to do this morning. But I, when I was praying, um, thinking about the church beforehand, I was had, kept getting this picture of your church, of God's heart... But it wasn't like, I don't know if you do this, but I do this quite a lot on my phone. I send these hearts, you know, just a message and there's a heart, you know. Glad somebody knows. This red heart and you send it. 
And I just discovered also that if you actually send it on its own without all the, well, sometimes I'm sending a message with, with a heart on it that says, really sorry I'm late, heart, 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 you know, don't stop loving me, or um, uh, could you please go and do this for me, heart, heart, heart. You know, just a little bit of uh, trying to um, manipulate them maybe, or keep the friendship, you know. But if you actually just send, I'm sure you know this, all you young people are so techie, I'm not techie. If you send one heart on its own, do you know what happens? Yeah, your wife knows, Mecca, that's good. <laughs> it flashes, it flashes. And I was thinking about the heart of God, because the picture I had of the heart of God was of this enormous heart that's full of blood, and it's just pumping and pumping and pumping. So it's even better than Annette's heart. It's actually one that's full of life, full of energy, full of uh, blood. And I was thinking, what is it about the blood of Jesus that affects our lives? I believe when... Um, Jesus is looking at situations like Ukraine, like the incredible pain we felt over loss in our church of, first of all, beloved Pastor Joe, and then of other people like Sharon, Mecca's mum. It's painful. We may say anything we want theologically, but it's painful. It hurts. It still hurts me that Pastor Joe is no longer with us. It'll go on hurting. We may be able to justify it in many ways, and I say use the Bible in many ways, but the pain is there. But what does God do about our pain? What does he do about the pain of Afghanistan, the pain of Ukraine? I believe his heart bursts. Do you know what's happening in 12 days' time? You're not at an Anglican church. (laughs) Well, it's actually Good Friday, not Easter yet. (laughs) But... But Jesus dies. His heart is pierced. His heart is broken. We we looked at it beautifully in communion just now. His heart is broken for us. Broken for us, that pumping heart. Suddenly it's pierced and the blood comes out. So his side was pierced and water and blood came out. His blood comes out and it pours over us. It pours over the situations of the earth. And I believe when he sees the pain of Ukraine and things like that, his heart breaks. He's he's so tender-hearted, oh God. He's so soft-hearted, and yet he's strong with it. Let's look at the scripture I want to look at, which is, um, I use a hard copy Bible still. It's a story of Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. Do you want to put the scripture up? I'm going to read some of it, but not all of it. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 and 50, but I'm going to miss out a bit in the middle. You'll remember the story well. Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. Now... I'm reading it in the NIV. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. 
And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. That was what's going on in his heart. He didn't verbalize it, but it's going on in his heart. And then verse 44, then Jesus turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, the Pharisee who's named, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, but she loved much. For she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus turned to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Beautiful story. And I want to use this story to have a look at the few aspects of Jesus' beating heart. The first thing that I want to look at is the fact that God's heart, Jesus' heart, is a heart of protection. His heart is there to protect us. His heart is there to help us, to care for us, to look after us. In Luke chapter 13, I'm waiting for cataract surgery, so I'm having to peer in, up and down at my Bible, so please forgive me. <laughs> so, Luke chapter 13 Verse 34, this is Jesus. He's nearing towards coming into uh, the crucifixion story. But he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings? But you were not willing. Look at that picture. Who keeps hens here? Anybody keep hens? You live, you know, more like the country than I do. No hens? Your neighbor. If you've ever seen a mother hen, the way she puts her arms, yeah, she puts her arms over the chickens, her babies, and she's very defensive. If someone comes to try and attack the chickens, she will actually be more likely to give her own life up, so I'm told, than to get the chickens killed. That's powerful protection. Does that sound familiar or anything else? That's how God's protection is. And when we were worshipping today, it was so lovely having all my friends up on the stage. I haven't seen you leading worship for a long time. <laughs> Three of you, it was beautiful, and four of you, actually. Thank you. Um, and the I just saw the arm of protection over the whole of this church. The arm of protection. It's here. It'll never leave you. Little chickens running around. Some of you are more grown up than chickens now, but still the arm of protection is there. But the other side of the protection of, of um, the arms of God is that uh, if a chicken is trying to get out of the shell and can't get out because he's having problems being born, you would have thought this protective mum would go, you know, with her beak, 
take off all the bits of shell bit by bit and help, help the chick get out. But the mum doesn't do that. And that's the sort of protection that we have from our Father God. He, he says to us, I'm going to look after you. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to help you in times of pain and agony and loss and fear. But actually, you've got to do it as well. You've got to do your own bit. You've got to strive to live. You've got to strive to do the things in life that you need to do. You've got to strive to uh, get that, that, uh, that uh, uh, energy into your life. On the cross, Jesus died. We then know what happened a few days later. But when Jesus died and rose again, he broke the power of destruction. Satan was trying to destroy him. Satan is always trying to destroy his people. He's trying to destroy us. He's trying to destroy us. That's why people land up in prison where I work. He wants to destroy their lives. He takes them into drugs, into drink, into violence. The enemy does it. Obviously, it's their choice as well. But the enemy wants them destroyed. But Jesus came on the cross and rose again to break that power of destruction. To break it so we're free to be the people we're meant to be free of. So how are we going to use that, that, uh, that power in us? It's all very well Jesus helping to protect us. How are we going to protect others? I was um, out for a walk yesterday because I absolutely love going for walks. And I was in the local park, which is quite, quite big, so that's okay. And I passed three youth. I would say they're probably about 14. And they were sitting on the, on, the, on the bench. And one of them was obviously vomiting because it was all over the place. Sorry, but it was all over the place. So I stepped past it like this and went on. And then I heard him say, I hate alcohol. I hate alcohol. And then I heard the, the guy who was standing next to him saying, no, you don't. No, you don't. And as I'm walking on, I just, I just rose up in anger. I thought, yes, you do. So I was praying, and I was saying, Lord, free him from alcohol. Free him from alcohol. Make him absolutely hate it. And I just felt the Lord said, well, go on. So I turned around, went back to them. I thought, oh, gosh, they might be mouthy. What am I going to do about this? So I went back to them saying, okay, Lord, I'm just doing what you're saying. I went back, and I saw them, and I said, hello, um, just wanted to, to say hello. It's me. So uh, I was expecting a sort of re rebuke from them, a rebuff. But I said, you know, um, I heard what you were saying. And um, alcohol, you do not want it. Your body is reacting because it didn't want it. So that's why what's happening is happening. Alcohol is not what you want to go into. I know lots of the young people... Uh, your mates and everybody, they all think it's very cool at this age. It's not cool. It's not. It's not going to do you good. It's going to take you further and further down the path of destruction. And I was expecting abuse from them, but I knew I had to do it to protect this child because I really believed that speaking to his life at this stage was going to turn things around. I've seen so many people go down that path, then it's into drugs, then it's into crime, then it's into prison, just from starting in a small way. And I told him, and they thanked me, these three guys, not just him, who's still holding his stomach, but the other two said, thank you, thank you. And they were listening. This is one tiny example of how we protect one another. We need to help one another to walk in the right way and not to be demolished by the power of destruction. Secondly, Jesus' heart, it comes when it beats with life. 
It comes to bring healing and restoration. I think it's an extraordinary thing that actually God wants to heal us and restore us even more than we want it. Um, in the chapter that I read earlier on about the, uh, the um, woman who anointed Jesus' feet, in verse 38, it says, And she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Why did she do this? Why did she want to come into a household where Pharisees were, religious people who probably criticized her? We don't know what her sin was, but we, we sort of surmise. These Pharisees would have criticized her. She would have been an outcast. She would have been somebody who they didn't want much to do with. They looked down on her. And she walked into this dinner. It wasn't just, you know, a picnic in the park. It was a dinner laid out by the Pharisees. Probably you know, they'd put it out quite nicely because it was Jesus coming. And so Simon had done a, a nice meal, or probably his wife had done a nice meal in those days. Not now, always. And the meal was there, and it was looking good, and this woman still decided to come in. And everybody would have been looking at her thinking, we know you're a sinful woman. You're a, a well, I won't, yeah, a sinful woman. And um, you have done things which we disapprove of because God wants us to be holy and pure. She still came in. She humbled herself. She didn't care what people thought about her. She was on the ground. She was kneeling. Her hair was hanging down, which was not a symbol of purity in those days. It was not. And she was, she was wiping his feet with her hair. I mean, what a humbling thing to do. Why did she do it? Because Jesus had healed her. He'd set her free. He'd freed her from the trappings of sin. I seem to continually battle with things I want to change in my life. Nicholas and I were having a laugh when I arrived because he's known me for many, many years, like Mecca has. And um, he knows that driving somewhere and arriving there is a major issue for me. And he said to me, um, did you come on your own? And you really meant... <laughs> But I'm actually quite good on the sat-nav now. I only nearly got lost once. But I'll let you into a little secret. What used to happen in me is when I got lost, even on the sat-nav, I missed the turning, I would get angry at myself. Not anybody else. It was me. Why am I such a... Yeah, sometimes the wrong words came out. I have to confess. But it was at me. I was angry with me. And I felt the Lord really get hold of me one time and say, just ask me to help you with this, not necessarily the directions. I mean, yeah, he will, but it's also me understanding, you know. So just don't do it. Don't keep hurting yourself. And it was extraordinary. Last time I, I lost my way, I didn't today, but last time I lost my way, instead of getting angry, I suddenly realized I wasn't. I wasn't chastising myself. Victory! I actually learned to love myself, you know. I'd learned to actually accept my weaknesses and expect... Jesus to help me be restored. He wants to take that anger away more than anybody else does. I don't like it. Stupid little thing to get angry about. What a waste of anger, you know. 
at least be angry about something that you can change because it's really bad. I mean, not in, you know, like, be angry about what's happening in Ukraine, for example. But um, he can do it. He wants to restore us. He wants to do it more than what we want. It done. We, and what I love about Jesus is his compassion. The way he dealt with this woman, his compassion is so big. I think so often we're saying to ourselves, you know, you shouldn't have been like that. You shouldn't have done that. You know, in the Ten Commandments, it says, you shall not, or in the old version, I like it, thou shalt not, pointing a finger. So I'm sitting in prison. I'm speaking to these guys who are probably there, a lot of them because they've murdered somebody. And I'm saying to them, thou shalt not murder. They know that. I don't need to tell them that. They need to be healed from whatever caused them to do this murder, whatever you know, the, the source of anger was or, or the, the, um, the drugs that overtook them or whatever, whatever. So that's what ne needs to happen. They need to be healed from that. And I do not believe that God is there saying, thou shalt not anger. I think he's there saying, you shall, sorry, you shall not murder or get angry. Um, I think he's saying, you shall not get angry. I'm going to help you not to get angry. I'm walking beside you. I'm that hen with my arms over you. I'm with you. I'm, I'm not saying... Don't do this. That's what Islam says, and it's beginning of Ramadan this weekend. Islam is saying that you must not eat. All respect to them, because I, the way they, they cope with Ramadan and the fasting and, and everything like that, I really respect. But um, they live by the law. We live by grace. Compassion is so much more than what we understand. Jesus He's comforting. He's loving. He wants to draw us in and say, I know you're battling with that. I know you don't like that bit about yourself. But you don't need to keep piercing yourself. Come to me. Let my arms heal you. Let my arms take that away. That's why I shed my blood on the cross. That's why it's going to happen on 12 days' time. His stripes, or actually even before that, his healing really, because when he was going to the cross, he was being... He was being chastised. He was being whipped. He was being so destroyed by what the power of evil through men were, as they thought. But actually, he made it through. So how do we put this into action with other people? How do we transfer us receiving the true compassion from Jesus for us to other people? great when it transforms us. It's great when it, uh, his heart restores and heals us. But how do we transfer it to other people? Well, I think one of the ways is just by having compassion towards others. I'll uh, tell you a little story that I have. There's, um, I'm sure you're not like this, but there are various people that I just don't like. Sorry. No reason. Just don't like them. And they're nice people. It's just that they annoy me. I can see you're all much too innocent to ever feel that. Yeah, never mind, I'm going to talk about just me. But there's one girl in particular, she's a lovely person, but she just annoys me. I see her and I just think, mm -mm. Now that is awful. And I keep repenting and saying, I'm so sorry, Lord, she's a lovely person, she's a godly person, she's great, nothing wrong with her. Um, and I said, Lord, you've got to help me with this. I just can't get through it. It's terrible. I really dislike myself for being like this. I'm sure she feels it, you know. 
I see her and say hello, rather than hello. <laughs> anyway, I don't know whether she knows it or not, but um, and the Lord showed me a picture. He showed me her when she was uh, a child and what went on to, with her then. And as he showed me that picture, and he said to me, just remember who she was and has become. Remember who she is in my eyes. And it changed everything. I now look at her and I see her with compassion, not just as that person who was hurt as a child, but as somebody who's been restored by Jesus. And it changed everything. And Lord, please help us to see people as you see them. Oh, I thought I had much less time. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I thought I'd only got 10 minutes more. All right, thank you. Um, she, uh, she is a lovely person. And now, thank God, I can see in a different way than I could before. And my heart for compassion is, is growing. Lord, help us, help us to have hearts of compassion. Hearts which see people as they really are. Um, some of the people in the place where I work have done horrendous things. And I know it if I look on the computer. And um, some of the crimes they've done um, are just ghastly. And if I go around all the time looking at these, it's a men's prison, looking at them, just saying, you know, how horrible you are what you've done. Is that going to change anything? No, it's not. It's not. Only thing that's going to change things is the heart of Jesus touching their heart. The heart of Jesus showing them who they can really be, showing them that he can restore them, that he can bring them to be the person they're meant to be. Not without consequence, consequence of sin for start with a long prison sentence but there's a consequence of sin there always will be but Jesus has come to restore he's come to bring back the person they're meant to be that's why he shed his blood to heal us from all the things we've all gone through rubbish in our lives no parent is perfect I often think you know when a baby comes out of the womb if he could think, what was he thinking? Great. Life's going to be really good. Mum's going to give me food whenever I want it. And everything's going to go right. And, uh, well, it's not. Even your parents, even these wonderful parents in here are not perfect. You didn't need to say that quite so loud about yourself. <laughs> but we're all under the grace of God. And, uh, Thank God for that, as it were, we parent and as we ch are children, that uh, the healing power of God is with us. Be consistent. Stick with people who are in trouble. Stick with people who really uh, you find difficult to be with. Jesus has come to help nurture us. His voice draws us. It draws us in. That voice, when he saw, um, when he went to Jerusalem and he said, uh, you know, how long... Uh, he was weeping over Jerusalem. And he did it because he loved them. He wanted them to come under his protection. He wanted them to come under his healing. And they were scuttling away and not doing it. And I think it was Lynette, somebody said this morning about how easily, or maybe it was yourself, that how easily we'd make our own decision about stuff. And it's easy, isn't it? It's easy to make our own decision about stuff and not going to Jesus and asking him to help us. Thirdly, 
Um, the pulsating, the beating blood of Jesus, uh, uh, heart of Jesus with his blood in it, with so much life in it, it's come to give us our true identity, not just who we were when we were scarred, where we were when we thought, where we were when we were that sinner. The same verse as we read for this lady who was a sinner and she was restored. Let me read a little bit further. It says in verse 38. Um, now, I'm going to read the same one again because that's actually even more relevant. It says, she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And then Jesus goes on and he says, you did not give me water for my feet or wet my feet with your tears, but she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume, not just perfume, expensive perfume on my feet. She's found a new identity. She's no longer dishonored, no longer living in shame. Shame is such a, um, um, a paralyzing uh, uh, emotion. I think many of us live with shame. We don't even realize we cover it up in many ways. But shame paralyzes us. We need to take hold of Jesus' identity and know we are honored. We are special in his sight. That's what this woman had to learn. And he went on and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Don't go in self-condemnation any longer. Go in peace. Don't go in shame any longer. Go in peace. Don't go in receiving the hopelessness that life will never be any different. Go in peace. That's what our new identity is. That's what he's doing with us. There's um. Uh, a gentleman in my my prison who, um, actually, because this is on YouTube, I've got to be really careful what I say. Um, um, I won't give this example. It's a shame because it's a really good example. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you about another one who's out of prison. He's been out of prison years and years and years ago. Um, um, and uh, he was one of those people who, in chapel, would... Uh, sit there and uh, he would look at me and I would think, oh my goodness, if I ever see him outside, I'm running. Because he was big, tough, and looked at me like this. Little did I know that when he would go back to his cell, he told me years afterwards, he would just cry. That was how broken he was inside. Couldn't get out of crime, was doing crime again and again and again. Lived in our prison more than outside. Right towards the end of this, this last this prison sentence I'm talking about, he went to a class, uh, they have to go to education classes, and he got given a certificate for having done a course. Now, that may seem very small to you, but this gentleman had never received a certificate, anything in his life, at school or anything, because he was always too bad. That turned his whole life around. He said he'd never actually known to be told well done for something. Never. Certainly the courts never said that to him. Here he was, and he'd been told well done. You've succeeded in something. That turned his life around. It just happened that I went to his cell after that and said, uh, would, you, would you like a Bible, as one does? And before, he probably would have said, you know, go away. I was just coming to chapel just to waste the time. 
and be trouble. But he took the Bible, he started reading it. He got released soon after that. He is now absolutely on fire for Jesus and has been for the last 12 years. And uh, he started charities to help other people who were, help other people who could be going to prison, young people who are really struggling, um, to help them to go the right way. He's got a, a stables with horses where he takes people on, on as part of the um, program to help young people be restored. And he started another charity to help people when they actually, through probation, done all sorts of amazing things because he was restored because he got his true identity. He wasn't any longer somebody under shame. He was restored. So was this woman restored. When Jesus went to the cross, he took our old identity and released our new identity. He said, you're no longer under that crushing power. You are free. You're free to be the person. I mean, imagine what Satan must have thought when he thought, at last I've got him under my foot. And then he came up. Jesus came up. What must Satan have thought about that? He'd lost. Jesus had won. And that's the same for us. Satan wants to crush our identity. But we rise up under the power of Jesus. Every day, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, to write, write, rise, raise you up as the real person you're meant to be. Not that person you keep criticizing yourself over being. Not the one you... I was looking, I was, um, I have to, shame Mel's not here, I went on a singing lesson yesterday. Mel? Um, I thought I should do something just to, I, I'm, I'm doing some singing lessons online, and on, online when you do the singing lessons, because uh, on Zoom, so you've got her picture and you've got your picture, and it's horrible, because she looked, she was all beautifully made up and uh, young and... Um, she was all, you know, looked good. And here was me on the other picture. I said, do I really have to have my picture of me? I don't want to see it because I'm supposed to see how my, I don't know, my breath or my mouth or something. Or my tongue, tongue, yeah. I know a bit. Uh, but anyway, uh, she, she said, yes, you do. And I was thinking, I don't want to keep looking at this picture of me. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's not what it's about. That's how we often look at each other, ourselves. You think, I don't want to look at this picture of me. But Jesus is there with us. He's going to transform us. It's okay. It's okay. We are going to be changed from glory moment by moment. Finally, the heart of welcome, this big beating heart of Jesus was a heart of welcome. When I walked into this church, I felt so welcomed. That's um, because I, I, I love very much some of the people in this church and some of you guys online. And it's so lovely to come back to that sense of family. So let's have a look at another part of this wonderful woman's life. When Jesus said these things to Simon and he showed Simon uh, what this lady had done, as I was reading to you just now, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you didn't do all these things, but she did. And he welcomed her and he said, your sins are forgiven. When your sins are forgiven, you are welcomed absolutely into the presence of Jesus. That's why Jesus had to come, because we weren't actually welcomed into the presence of God in the old days, in the Old Testament days. We weren't, because we kept sinning. We weren't welcomed. But now, through Jesus, we are welcomed right into the God's presence, right into his house. So much so, it's absolutely horrendous, really. It's hor 
that he wants to live inside us. I mean, I know who I am. You know who you are. Well, probably not as well as Jesus does, but he wants to come and live inside us. I mean, that is absolutely extraordinary. That's how welcome we are. So, obviously, church is a wonderful example of family and welcome. And I believe around here you have a, a lovely community because you live, you know, you can go to each other's homes. You, you live reasonably close to each other, I, I, I expect. That's what church should be. So we are enjoying one another, going to one another's places, coming here and being pleased to see one another, uh, connecting with one another, sending that text to encourage someone just when they're on your heart. Um, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night because one of the young ladies who I look after got taken into uh, A&E yesterday and had to go for emergency surgery. So I was on the phone. I wasn't, thank goodness, out of bed in A&E with her because her mum was, but I was on the phone with her a lot and texting and all that. And I was thinking, actually, this is so important. I can send words of encouragement when she's just about to, in great pain, just about to go for surgery. It's actually worth me being awake just to do this. And um, we, we, we can be so powerful in welcoming one another, in caring for one another. Jesus' arms that open to us and welcome us, whatever we're feeling about ourselves, they're there. I really long for myself, for us to really sense that bigness of his beating heart. It's, it's alive. It never, Jesus never has a heart attack. He never loses the heart attack. He never loses the blood until the point of crucifixion when he loses in order to have absolutely um, indefensible life, indefeatable life. So he loses his blood then in order to have a new life that will never, ever be destroyed. Blood that goes on forever. Blood that carries on forever. Let's uh, remember that place of family to one another so that we're always welcoming one another so that we remember the thing that we need to do to help one another feel at home. We, we spend that extra time with someone who's in pain. Maybe you won't even tell us, but we can sense there's something wrong. We don't need to sort them out. We just need to listen to them. I don't know when you've gone through a period of grief, but one of the things you need is just to talk, just to have people listening to you. You don't need them to tell you the answer because that probably isn't the answer. You just need them to listen. Jesus listens. So to conclude this wonderful beating heart of God, are we absorbing it? Are we really taking it into ourselves? His heart is beating with life. Are we really taking hold of that protection that he has for us and not walking away from it? Are we really taking hold of the healing that he has for us and allowing him to be the one who does the pace of healing? Are we really allowing him to give us our new identity, our fresh identity? You're really sensing him's welcoming. He's welcoming when you wake up in the morning, you actually don't want to get out of bed. That was me this morning. And I remembered that actually I'm with him, that he's there to welcome me. He's there to take over my day, to walk with me through it all. And then I remember that I was going, 
to Lynette and Mecca's, they're not here, for lunch, and then I really sparked up, so I was okay. But it shouldn't have taken that long for me to actually remember, or maybe it's Jesus reminding me. <laughs> the beating heart of Jesus, as we approach Easter, let's use these next 10 days. I know Easter happens, you know, we, we, we celebrate it all the time, but it's wonderful to be able to really focus on it specifically this time. Let's focus on what he's going through for us and the wonderful power of his resurrection in, that we will celebrate in two weeks' time. Amen. I'm going to pray. And uh, let's uh, just listen to the Lord as he speaks to you in the way that he, he needs to speak to you. Jesus, we're so grateful that we can follow you every day of our life. We're so grateful, Lord, that you came with a heart that was beating for CLF Medway, that was beating for our individual homes, was beating for this area, was beating for Britain, was beating for Muslims who are entering Ramadan this weekend. Was beating for those who don't know you. Was beating for those in terrible anguish and pain in countries like Ukraine, Afghanistan, many more. Whose heart was beating for me that your heart would only beat for me if there was nobody else on the earth. We ask, Lord, we'd really take hold of that wonderful sense of your shed blood and resurrected life. What you did for this woman who was a sinner, living in shame, living in defeat, is phenomenal. Thank you, Lord, that you do it for us. Help us, Lord, to know that place of protection under your wings. To know that place of restoration as you speak, forgiveness and healing into us. Your, speak, your, your heart of new identity as you transform us, as you give us our true identity. We really are not just as who we see ourselves as on a bad day. And thank you, Lord, for your heart of welcome where you chose to come and live with us and walk with us every day of the life. You always say you won't want us, even when we get the behaving waves you don't want to. You still welcome us back into the fold. So, Spirit of Jesus, fill us afresh today. We ask for this in your name's sake.